It's time for Cubicle Insanity. I've got Kim here with me and I'm Tammy. We're back together again to talk a little bit about that which we love, corporate America, or really any workplace globally. Our podcast is a discussion about the real insanity from cubicles in the workplaces, from leadership and leaders to experiences with life in the cubicles. Let's get into our latest cubicle insanity. Kim? Let's go. Okay, I'm looking forward to this topic. Um, we love to talk about our managers and our leaders, so I think this uh, this will be eye-opening, or at least some good tips, some best practices. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So we've both been in the workforce for a few years, right? Just a couple. Yeah. We, Just a tiny baby we, bit we of experience. We won't say how many. We've seen good managers, good leaders, good and bad leaders, and it's different than managers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, been to training courses as we've moved up in our careers and into leadership roles, read books, articles. So I asked the question, why is being a good leader so hard? That is a good question. So let's, uh, let's kind of go through all this. In episode 19, we did a little book report called Extreme Ownership. Yes. And the book was written by... Uh, Jacko Willink and Leif Babin. And in the book, the authors describe leadership as extreme ownership. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And they were, they were radical and extreme. Yeah. About it. Yep. Lately, though, I've been hearing about and hearing various references to servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And I've not heard that term before. So I thought, what is it? So I found a couple of articles and thought, well, what is it? So it's been described both as an acronym and a style of leadership. So tonight I thought we'd poke around on this topic a little bit. Okay. All right. So it's going to be a little bit of a history lesson here. Going to give a little list of history on the uh, servant leadership. So it's not a new phrase. It uh, was actually coined by Robert K. Greenleaf. Um. In the 1970s. Okay, so not that new of a term then. For those of us born before then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't believe a word of it. So let me read what he wrote. Okay, Okay, so let me, uh, here, let me just read it. Did he write a book? What did you say? Um, uh, He has a whole foundation in. um, Oh. uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, this is a big deal. Oh, yeah, a big deal. Okay. So he knows what he's saying. What did he tell us? Well, he's. Yes, he believes in servant leadership. So let me read what he uh, wrote. He said, uh, or how he describes uh, servant leadership. He says, the servant leader is servant first. It begins with natural feelings that one wants to serve, to serve first. Then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. That person is sharply different from one who is leader first, perhaps because of the need to uh, assuage an unusual power, drive, or to acquire material possessions. Hmm. The leader first and the servant first are two two extreme types. Between them, there are shadings and blends that are part of an infinite variety of human nature. I like what he said there. I agree. He goes on to say... Oh, he's not done. Oh, no, no, no. no. (laughs) Wait a minute. He goes on to say the different manifests... The differences manifests itself in the care taken by the servant first to make sure other people's highest priority needs are being served. 
The best test and difficult to administer is, do those served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least not be further deprived? Actually, it's, you know, again, it's, it's a it, servant leadership has um, existed long before Robert Greenleaf made it a popular phrase in the 70s. Yeah, I, I feel like some of the stuff you used to, dis- or he used to describe it, reminds me more of, sometimes when I think of servant leadership, I, it, it has a bit of a, a religious background to me, but what you were saying there, almost, I'm thinking, um, help me out, like Greenpeace, or yeah. yep. what's that type of uh, like occupation? The, like the Peace Corps, like um, yeah. community service. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it had yeah. a little bit more of a reflection of that in yep. it. Okay. Yep. So, it, like I said, it's it's not a new philosophy. A um, little bit of a history lesson. So, servant leadership is is an ancient philosophy. Uh, there are passages rele- relevant to it, uh, to servant leadership from the Tao Te Ching uh, dynasty in China, attributed to Lao Tzu, who is believed to have lived in China somewhere between. 570 BC and 490 BC. Okay, we won't oh. get we won't get into our religion conversation <laughs> from before, but that was one of the questions. BC AD. Okay, uh, let's see. It, what uh, what he wrote is the highest type of ruler is one whose existence the people are barely aware of. Next comes one who they love and praise. Next comes one who whom they fear. Next comes one whom they despise despise and defy when you are lacking in faith others will be unfaithful to you the sage is self-effaciating did i say that right and scanty 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 of words when his task is accomplished and things have been completed all the people will say we ourselves have achieved it Mm. okay well okay so one last uh, reference. Whoops, let me back here. Uh, shoot, I just messed that up. Um, okay, so one last um, little bit of a history lesson is a gentleman by the name of Chanakaya wrote in the 4th century B.C. in his book Arthashrasta. See, this is why I wasn't good at history. <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing those words right, so my okay. apologies for butchering it. Some guy who had a book. Yep, so he wrote, uh, 4th century B.C., the king leader shall consider as good not what pleases himself, but what pleases his subjects' followers. The king, the leader, is paid servant is a paid servant and enjoys the resources of state together with the people. Servant leadership can be found in many religious, <laughs> religious texts, through the philosophy, it transcends any particular religion. In the Christian tradition, the passage from the Gospel of Mark is often quoted in discussion of servant leadership. Um, let me kind of quote this, and I'm not going to uh, cite it right, but let me let me give it a shot here. It says, uh, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers 
of the Gentiles' Lord is over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In, is it book 43, passage 43? Okay, we'll say book 43. I don't know anything about the Bible. Okay. (laughs) First. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Book 42. And whoever wants... To be first must be servant of all. And finally, in 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a, as a ransom for many. That's Mark 10, 42 through 45. Thoughts? Okay, so it's interesting all the different uh, aspects of your history lesson yeah. Yeah. that it comes from. And they all kind of while being very similar and going down the same avenue, uh, kind of come at different approaches. So this uh, guy in, uh, where did, so he's 4th century BC with, with his yes. difficult name? Yes. Um, Chanakaya. Chana- yeah, like, um, he, I mean, his was very, he was very simple about his approach to right. it, where this other uh, person in China... Tao Te Ching. There, there was definitely a not only a servant leader aspect, but maybe a bit of a ruler yeah. um, aspect to it. Yep. Um, you know, and then in the Bible, it was contrasting kind of those two things. Right. So, um, I think from your original guy, who what was his name? Greenleaf. Greenleaf. Yes. He. Um, who coined the phrase servant leadership? Oh, he coined it. Okay, so yeah. our, our coiner of the phrase. Um, I liked his uh, much more modern comparison, but I like how he says there there are these two extreme types. Yeah. One person comes into it because they want to serve others, and other people come into being a leader because they want to leader be a leader. They want the fame, they want the money, they want the uh, what did he say material possessions? Um, yeah, and I think yeah. that's exact. I mean, they all sort of go down those two avenues, but I completely yeah. agree. Okay, so people go into this. <laughs> so. As I'm hearing about this, of course, I get curious, and so I go out cruising the interwebs, and of oh, course, yeah. that's where I find some of this information. But I stumbled across um, a series of articles that we'll kind of walk through um, tonight a little bit and kind of go through it. Um, and it's by Brigadier General James Betray. Beckray, I'm not sure the proper pronunciation. Um, He's written several blogs about servant leadership. And he actually uh, starts it out as calling it an acronym. Oh. Yeah. So it's an acronym and it's a philosophy. So let me me tell you how he kind of describes it. So S is for selflessness. Okay. Servant. E, effective time management to ensure balance in your life. That was a long E. (laughs) R, right things for right way and the right reasons. Hmm, Okay. B, visionary leadership. A, attitude, positive, is contagious. N, never setting your goals too low. And T, for taking care of your people. Okay, the one that jumps out at me 
is visionary leadership. So I am making a broad statement and that can always be dangerous, but when I think maybe servant leadership, that's not the first thing I think of is visionary leadership. So I'll be interested to get into that. Yeah. What about you? Um, visionary was probably the one that, that when I think of just the word servant, mm -hmm. I think of, I don't think of vision, visionary, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know why. Cause you know, now that I say it out loud, I'm like that. I'm not sure that that makes sense, but yeah. Yep. All right. So let's, uh, let's poke around on the S. So, so let's start with S. Okay. So described as, uh, the keys to selfless leadership is, is to serve others with the spirit of humility and sense of gratitude for the opportunity to lead in your organization. Aww. Unfortunately, many lead with a sense of entitlement, right? Oh, like, yeah. well, I finally arrived or I, of course I yeah. deserve to be in this role. Or, uh, do you not know my title? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that um, um, Brigadier General Beckery, 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 excuse me, Beckery, um, they call him Betch. They said that his nickname is Beck. Beck? Beck. We'll okay. use Beck. We'll tell him Beck. Um, so Beck has a uh, another acronym. Oh, he likes these. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, he says, you know, when it gets right down to it, selflessness is comprised of three parts. It's an ABC. Oh. Well, I like ABCs. ABC. <laughs> okay. No, we really don't want us singing. It's <laughs> not a singing podcast. <laughs> Wrong. Okay. Uh, it says, um, A, uh, take action to serve those they lead. B, believe that leaders are selfless, not entitled. C, communicate how you intend to lead through words and actions, or as I like to state it, leadership is demonstrated, not announced. <laughs> yes, agreed. So what I found interesting about that ABC yeah. portion is, think back to episode 19, extreme ownership, mm -hmm. right? And they talk about so many, there's so many common themes in that. It, it's, um, it's not surprising to think about leaders that, you know, you got to believe in what you are going to communicate. you got to communicate it well so that others will follow you. Mm -hmm. Take action, you know, in, in extreme ownership plan, mm -hmm. execute, uh, believe, communicate. So, you know, it's, it's not surprising to think that leaders you've, you've seen, you have bumbling idiots that you come across or seen for the first time you're trying to convince, right? So. Yeah. Well, and those two that wrote extreme ownership, I mean, that is, they didn't use the term servant leadership, but no. definitely it is what they were doing. Right. Yep. And, uh, you know, if you think about selfless leadership, take action. Be the first, for example, be the first one in the morning in the office. Make the coffee. Yeah. Why does the receptionist have to do it? Uh, you know, you're, you're the team leader. You uh, Just even if you're not the team leader or the leader of the group, you can be a servant leader, right? You can get in, right. make the coffee. You're helping everybody out. Um, acts of selflessness won't be perceived genuine unless you believe. And it kind of goes to what we were talking about in some of the other episodes. Like when you give a compliment to somebody, 
right? Be genuine. If you believe that this is the right thing to do, be genuine about it. Don't mm-hmm. don't be fake. Well, and you know, the thing about believing is sometimes um, entitled leaders will, you know, make a command and maybe be somewhat defensive if the command right. is not followed. Right. Where if you believe in what you're doing, you're open to discussion because yeah. you... Bu- you said it before, something about like um, the right decisions at the right time and the right reasons or whatever. Yeah. You're open to discussion because you believe in what you're doing. Yeah. And then, again, Extreme Ownership book talks about communication, communicating up and down the chain of command. The C in this communicating is a communication is vital to demonstrating a selfless attitude. As a leader, you must clearly communicate to your team, how you intend to lead them. So I, I kind of think about that and it's clearly communicating the expectations, mm-hmm. what we need to do, why we're doing it. And again, you have to say it with conviction because if you don't believe it, they're not going to follow you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, it seems easy so far, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Seems uh, obvi. Okay, so let's get into E. Okay. Yeah. So this oh, one to me, one. this one to me was kind of obvious, but um, what was it again? Let me. So E, effective time management is something. Uh, let me go back. Let me tell you, effective time management to ensure balance in your life. Okay, effective time management. Yeah. So effective time management. I think it's something we probably all struggle with, mm-hmm. given that we have so much information coming at us and so many options in life for the most part many of us have a lot of different options a lot of information a lot of different tools and you know think about just life in general like Mm. more people more availability to things think about like grocery stores are now open 24 7 right yeah and there's people listening that didn't know that wasn't a thing. I know. <laughs> Stores used to not be open on Sundays, just in case. Um, so I like to call it the shiny object syndrome. It is. Right? Yeah. I mean, with how do you choose and how do you spend, like, we talked also about not being productive at work. Right. Sometimes this amount of information <laughs> makes you not productive. Right. Which is not a good time management Abs- skill. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Beck, Vetch? Beck. Let's call him Beck. Beck, we're going with Beck. Okay, Beck. Yeah. Uh, he says that there's four pillars. He says... For, phys- for effective time management? Yep. Wow, he breaks things down. Yes, he did. I feel like we can make a nice outline. I should be taking notes. Um, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual fitness. Oh, Okay. And he says, if all those things are not in balance, then you're out of balance and ineffective. Okay. I I sort of agree with the physical and the mental. Um, I think the emotional is the same as mental. That's how I kind of, in my mind, kind of, they're equal words to me. Okay. Maybe they're not. Mental. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think what I even think they are, mental and emotional. I don't use the word mental. Me- well, okay, so. I think in the text earlier, <laughs> he called me mental. Do you know what? As soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew. I, I cracked knew up. Okay, so I, I, 
totally cracked up. I do, but not... Okay, that's a different sentence I yeah. used to that. Yeah. Um, so, mental... So, this that we're talking about are mental fitness. Yeah. Um, well, I think that can be different, Kim, in that... Um, thinking about, um, like, stress, depression, versus emotional being, um, I'm frustrated... Or I'm I'm angry. I'm happy. See, I translated mental fitness as I kind of thought about it a little bit more and reflected on it. Yeah. Like mental fitness to me is, am I mentally prepared to do yeah. a job? Do I have the education? Do I have oh, okay. the data? Knowledge. Do I have the knowledge? Am I have I been trained okay. properly? Have I that that for me versus emotion being okay? Hey, I really love what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm passionate about it. I believe right. in it. I'm right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of get that as a third pillar, and then yeah. the fourth one is the spiritual fitness. Yeah, I like to be centered. <laughs> I like to be refreshed. Yep. So as I think about this, you know, you have to make time. You have to have money to make money. No, you have to make time <laughs> to have time and to prioritize. And, and, you know, there's times where things will be lopsided and, you know, you just got to get out of control. But when I think about people that are really good at effective time management and kind of more balanced in this are people that I see that make lists. And, yes, you've mocked me for my list, but I'm not (laughs) – and I'm not (laughs) – But but I look at – You're calling me out on everything today. I I look at people that I work with. I do mock your paper list. Uh, guilty. Um, I, I look at people that I have, I work with and have worked with that like at the end of the day or mostly at the end of the day, they will sit down and write out like what they got to do for the next day. Or, I mean, obviously calendaring that we all have, yeah. a lot of us have, I should say, it, it's easier to do it there. There's a task sheet in sometimes in the, whatever software you have. Yeah. But I see people like making that list and it starts with, okay, 6 a.m., going to get up. Then, you know, 6 to 6.30, I'm going to do 30 minutes of exercise. Then, you know, I mean, it's not to the point of, okay, it's 7.03, I'm going to take a shower. And mm-hmm. it, it's more like bigger increments, but, you know, exercise first, get ready for work. And then, you know, okay, first meeting is at whatever time they have all their meetings lined out. It, Planning time, work time, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think people always do that. Is planning work time? Yeah, I I agree. I have to uh, block off time sometimes on my calendar, and yep. and like you're saying, like I'll put specifics of I'm blocking up these two hours because I have to you know work on these kinds of things. So I do think that's important. I okay. So I have a question for you. I do think making lists and, and sort of having that, it reduces your stress because now you don't have to have that all jumbling around in your brain and remembering right. it. You've got a list. So the stress and the worry about what do I have to do tomorrow, it's gone because I have a list. I can yeah. set that on my desk. I can go about my evening and not worry about it because I I know. Right. And I don't have to think about it. It's done. Yep. But I'm going to throw in there just from my experience um, around time management. I've worked at companies where... Um, you know, everybody arrives at work between 7.58 and 8.01, and everybody leaves between 4.59 and 5.03. Mm-hmm. And so everyone feels like they have a balance. 
but I've also worked at companies where if you are not, you know, at your desk by uh, 7.45, you're late. And people are, like, already making eyes and shaking their heads that Mm -hmm. you're, you know, not there. And they almost brag about staying until 7 o'clock at night or something like that. Yeah. So... What, what, how does that fit into time management? Because when I look at the places where they maybe do, it's commonplace or expected to, to work extra hours all the time, not just, you know, when mm-hmm. needed, but kind of all the time. I think about the almost, the, 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 the passion and the belief in that job. Yeah. And even though they're working more hours, it's almost less. Because does that mean there's more unproductive time during the day? Or what do you think? Because do you know what I'm talking about? Have you yeah, seen that? Yeah, yep. I worked in one of those companies, and it was a company where the expectation was you got in before the boss and you stayed until after the boss. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, that that's not how this works um, in my mind. Yeah. Uh, so my, my initial reaction to this is, um, first off, bad company culture. Mm-hmm. And that they should hire us as consultants to come in (laughs) and fix the company culture. I think it's just bad company culture. And I would would venture to guess that those companies probably have high attrition, burnout. I would look at their health insurance claims. Yeah, look at you. Right? I mean, I can come in. Data-driven analytics. Absolutely. I I agree. And so what's interesting about this is... When you first said it, like when you were going through the first acronym, I was kind of like, huh, okay, servant leadership, yeah. effective time management, oh, yeah. okay. But it, just exactly what you said, bad culture, it starts at the top. Yeah. And if I think about, you know, just again, I'm kind of joking about the checklist, but think about it, it does fit into the mental, like, hey, okay, I know what I'm doing for the next day. I can I can set that aside, compartmentalize. Right. And then, you know, emotionally, you know, you're like, hey, I can get home. I can I don't have to worry about work. I can spend mm-hmm. time with kids, balance the, the yeah. emotions. But the flip side to that is I think about as I thought about this, like, you know, you drive to work in the morning and OK, I got to be there at eight for whatever reason. And you leave at your normal time and, you know, you generally give yourself a few extra minutes because you know you got to be there right at a certain time versus a little flexibility. Hmm, guess what? An accident. Mm-hmm. Right? So then you start getting frustrated. Yeah. You know, oh, my gosh. I got all this. Uh, you know, and you're like, you get into the office and you're like, ah. But what I see people do with this list is they come in and they might be like really stressed, but they, they've got their list. And like, okay, yep, I'm a couple minutes late for that meeting. And it, but you can quickly recover your day. Mm-hmm. And get back into a good place and not let it ruin your day. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, you can see both sides of it and it helps you, I think, emotionally and mentally. Yeah, yeah. And it gives you time to plan in your physical and then it gives you also time to plan your spiritual. Um, and let's face it, spending time with family, friends, being mentally and emotionally balanced, physically balanced at the end of the day, helps you with your cubicle insanity. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right? If everybody had it together like that, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. Right. So the R in servant. So R, R, right things the right way for the right reasons. 
Okay, it says, um, it says, integrity and character are the core of every great leader. This is arguably the most important leadership characteristics because this one focuses on the leadership's character, which is the core to their leadership style. Okay, that's, okay. The, that's the definition. So here's what Beck says about right things. To begin with, you must do the right things. As a leader, you must plan and execute your day with purpose, putting time into your priorities. However, you need to be prepared for unexpected. Imagine running late for an important meeting oh. and the coworker who comes in distraught and says they need to talk, right? You just... Oh, yeah. So, again, plan and execute your day. Write things. Make sure you're doing the right things, focusing on the right things. Extreme ownership talks about plan next uh, yes. year, right? You know what else um, that you just made me think of is um, maybe you're going to remember uh, there is a book and um, it talks about the, the big rocks. The big rocks? Hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Oh, shoot. Okay. I know the rock game, but not the big rocks book. The big, like, um, it, it, the, the analogy is you've got a a bowl, you've got a container of some nature and you have a bunch of sand and you've got a bunch of rocks that you have to fit into this container. And so if you pour the sand in and you try to put the rocks on top, then everything doesn't fit into your container. So really you've got to put the big rocks in first and then pour the sand in and then it just fills in your container around the big rocks. So somebody is probably listening, screaming what the name of this book is. I'll try to Google it maybe while you're talking. All right. Um, but the idea behind that is pick your big priorities. Make them first. Right. So you're talking about focus on the right things. That's what this is talking about is the container being your day, the container being your fiscal year, the container being, you know, whatever that is. You have to put the big rocks first. They have to go in first. Mm -hmm. They have to get the attention first. And then the sand being all of those little things, maybe the nice-to-haves or whatever, they just get sprinkled and filled in, but maybe they won't fit because the big rocks have to go first. Yeah. So don't get just distracted by the shiny objects. That's right. That's right. Excuse me. So he goes on to say right way, the right way. There is a right way and a wrong way to do most things. <laughs> okay. Period. Right. <laughs> Period. Okay. It's but, right or wrong. Okay. So I, you know, I was thinking about this and, in, in, you know, Perhaps if you're married, one could argue, or if you have a micromanager, maybe there's a right way and a wrong way. But again, if you're, oh. you know, I hear too many people talking about, oh, my, my, my spouse is always right. You know, he's always right. She's always right. Um, so that was meant as a joke, but it got lost. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was looking at Stephen, you, Stephen Covey. Okay. So you're our favorite, one of our favorites. One Covey. of our favorites. Okay. I'm, uh, ba I'm back in. I'm okay. back in the game. I'm okay. listening to you. The, the point is, is at, at times there's a right way and a way, wrong way um, as a leader to do things. And don't be afraid to, you know, attempt to do something a better way if it does something that helps to be effective and efficient. So there's a right way and a wrong way. The wrong way is ineffective, inefficient. Mm -hmm. But you might have a way in your mind that you need to do something. But the point is, is don't be afraid to adapt that approach if it makes it better. 
that, and that is sometimes harder than that sounds. That yep. one. Yep. I think for all of us, whether we're uh, in a leadership role, being a servant leader or being in a contributor role, being a servant leader within our group. Um, sometimes Kim, you know, you get it in your mind. We got to do it this way. Yeah. And it is hard to adapt and be flexible and add those little adjustments that might help. But to that point, though, I, I challenge it, and I think about that quite often, about diversity of thought mm -hmm. is how things get improved. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, take, a, take the smartphones that many of us have the luxury of using. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, like, you know, uh, Steve Jobs sat down and just designed the the first iPhone perfectly the first time and had everything working? Yes. <laughs> well, probably because he's a genius. He had a, he had a really nice garage, and he was good at doing cool things. Well, um, but he had Waz with him. Was <laughs> uh, Steve Wozniak. Wozniak, yeah. Right? So, I mean, it, it was two people. It wasn't just... Diversity you know, in thought. Right? Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Although, Kim, I know that we have talked before about those people who talk just to say words out loud. Yeah. That's not diversity of thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's just being Agreed. stupid. Okay. All right. Right reasons. Okay. So, uh, right reason. This is something we've talked about before. Why are, why are you doing something? For example, one time... Let me, let me give you an example. One time I was in a meeting and we were going around the table introducing ourselves and one of my teammates really had a bad stutter. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people didn't know that. So as we were going around, it came to him and he just sat there and he was like really tongue-tied and really trying to get out because all we were doing was saying our name and what function we were from. Okay. And he just sat there and he kept, you know, just really, he felt the pressure and you yeah. could see on his face, he was really frustrated and embarrassed. And so I leaned over to the person next to me in a little bit louder than normal whisper. And I'm like, Hey, how are you? I knew the answer. Cause I just seen that person out in the hallway, greeted him. Hello. Hey, how's it going? How are you? How you been? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And what happened though, just that little bit of distraction allowed my teammate to come out with his name and, and right. his function and stuff. And so we, you know, we took a break and, and he finally came up to me at the break and just said, Hey, thanks. I, I really appreciate you kind of breaking up the tension there. My, my point to saying all this is I wasn't trying to be a jerk, Yeah, you know, and and I was impatient because he couldn't get out his name. I took the spotlight. I, yes, mm -hmm. I said something to, yes, that's a good way to describe it, to take the spotlight off of him to help him. So mm -hmm. it was the right reason, or at least that's the feedback I got from him. Mm -hmm. It was the right reason. Yeah. So I don't know. There, I, you know, again, think about, the right reasons for doing things. Do you know, there's those people, um, I, I've worked with a couple of them and sometimes like they kind of get you and you're like, Oh shoot. 
But other times it's like, yes, okay, thank you for bringing me back. And those are the people who ask the question like, okay, what is the goal? What are we trying to do here? What is the problem we're solving yeah. for? And they sort of bring it back to that basic, you know, to make sure we're doing the right things for the right reasons. Right. So sometimes, you know, you get so wrapped up in the, the, the big project or what's happening. And so when they ask that question, you're like, oh, you got me. Yeah. Um, but other times it's like, okay, yes, you're right. Let's start back there again because we're getting wrapped around the axle and in order to make sure we're doing the the uh, the best thing for this particular decision or project yeah. or whatever, let's start back at the beginning and, and, and why are we here? Yeah. So, you know, the summary of the R's are, you know, are, are you doing the right things the right way, the right reasons, so that at the end of the day when you put your head on your pillow, you can say, yep, I, I did the right things for the right reasons and I did them the right way. Yeah. Right? Um, you know what's funny is um, I do say to my kids all the time, at the end of the day, be proud of who you are. Yeah. You know, maybe you had a bad day, but behave in a way so that, like you said, when you hit the pillow that night, you can be like, all right, that was a crappy day, but I feel good about how I worked through it. Yep. Yep. So B, visionary leadership. Okay, yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, what does it mean? You know, you hear you hear like Steve Jobs, visionary. Steve Jobs, excuse me. Steve Jobs, visionary. You hear like uh, Gandhi was a visionary. So Vex says, visionary leadership is applying common sense and empowering your people to create an environment of continual improvement. You've probably heard Lewis Carroll's quote from, I think it's Lewis C. Carroll, isn't it? Lewis Carroll. A quote from Alice in Wonderland. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. As a leader, that outcome simply isn't acceptable as you need to chart a course for your organization success in order to do the things, uh, in order to do the things you need to do and, and to get the following. So he talks about applying common sense. The, the example he gives is, you know, several years ago, Six Sigma was the silver bullet for all companies, oh, yeah. right? And he talks, he, his example is, you know, he goes into a, quite a bit of the example. And I kind of am going to paraphrase and use my kind of own example and simplify the thing. Is... Six Sigma has all kinds of tools. It's it's a philosophy, right? But underneath that philosophy, there's all kinds of tools. Mm -hmm. And and so the example he gave was, you know, hey, this company was trying to use all the tools to solve all the pro, you know, to so solve a single problem. And I kind of was thinking about it, and I was thinking, you know, okay, what's the kind of common sense thing here? So you think about like if you're at home, you need to change out a faucet. You get your toolbox, right? And you typically to change a faucet, you need a screwdriver and maybe some pliers and plumber's tape, you know, a few things. But you don't Probably need a bowl and some towels. Yeah, you don't <laughs> need you don't need a jackhammer, you don't need a chainsaw. Use the right tools. So apply common sense. Use only the tools that you need. You don't need all of the tools to solve every problem. 
because they may not need all of the tools. Yeah. Um, I, in my experience, um, going to Kaizans and, and whatnot, uh, you and I both, I know I've had many experiences. Yeah. Uh, eliminating waste and yeah. fish bones and the Muda. five wise yeah. and <laughs> all of that good stuff. And that is oftentimes, in my experience, it's sort of the people who are leading it, they, they decide ahead of time which tools you're going to use and yeah. are willing to course correct if, if it's decided that maybe this isn't the best tool Yeah. once you know you, you dig into it. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, I'm on board. But I, I would also say, again, in, in applying common sense, use only the necessary tools. Don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. Even if you think you need three or four tools, maybe you really don't. So don't force a tool usage if it's not needed. Okay, so I'm tell me uh, if you think this fits. There's like sometimes buzzwords or or books that all the leaders are reading mm-hmm. and doing things, whatever. And so sometimes you show up at work and maybe it is you know your your manager or or the CEO or someone is like, oh well, we must do this new fancy thing that everybody is talking about Mm -hmm. and everybody stares at each other like how is this going to help us or what is this going to do for us and so it might be um it might be a good tool might be the right tool for something but it might not be perfect for that situation and so there's do you know i'm trying to say there's that sort of evaluation of this is the end game we're trying to get to and is are we just, you know, using buzzwords because they're cool? Or right. yeah, yep. okay. Continuing on in the um, the for visionary, Vec also says, you know, empower your people. So he says to unleash that to unleash that common sense, you must empower your people to do great things. As a leader, you must recognize the wonderful strengths and attributes of those wonderful people you serve particularly younger members who come into your organization with a fresh set of eyes, a different perspective, a skill set much more advanced than those of us in the more mature generations. Oh boy, that's the millennials, isn't it? They're coming. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, it's, it's something that um, the company that I work at, you know, we, we, we talk about empowering the, our people, mm-hmm. And what's interesting is we've, we're going through a culture shift where we really try, are trying to empower our employees. Mm-hmm. And there's clearly generational divide. Really? Yeah. Like what? So I'll say people that have started their careers, like when I started, mm-hmm. they have always, most of the time, I shouldn't say always, most of them have always done, you know, hey, I'll put together the information and then I take it to the boss for a decision. Okay. Right? Yeah. It's, it's you know, all, the boss always makes the decision. The less experienced generation, they are like, yeah, I got this. I'll take care of it. I'll, yeah, I'll do whatever. You know, done. So they come in with this empowerment, but I, I'm like, it's not it to me. I don't think it's 
I think if you think back to those of us that started our careers, like when I did, we came in kind of with the same attitude, like, why can't I just go do something? Mm -hmm. I I can take care of that. I can do that. Mm -hmm. But you've been trained over the years. That's not how it works. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to, it's okay to make a decision. And, And really what's interesting is the generational, the two different generations are kind of like, well, what if I make the wrong decision? Mm-hmm. You know, and when I coach employees on this, I'm like, you can't, make, yes, you can make a wrong decision, but make a decision. You make them every day in your life, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to leave the house at such and such time. I might not take the freeway to go to the work. I'm going to take the back route because it's fall and I want to see the tree leaves mm-hmm. as I go to work. Well, you make a cram ton of construction out there. Right. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Whatever. You're constantly making decisions. So why are people afraid to make decisions in the workplace? Because they don't want to get in trouble, Kim. So that's interesting because, yes, people have been in trouble for making decisions, but they've made bad decisions. Like taking, drinking at lunch, drinking at lunch, <laughs> taking money from the company. Oh, well, okay. Right. But I don't know anybody that's been fired for making a decision to try something versus doing it status quo. Okay. So fired. Okay. I, I agree. Not probably not fired. Maybe career limiting move, as it's used to call. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm also thinking of times where I, I'm trying to come with like of a more of a specific example. I know it happened where I maybe got my hand slapped a little, where, uh, you know, maybe moved forward on you know doing something a certain way, mm-hmm. didn't clear it with my boss or you know someone else who felt that they needed. Uh, to have input on that. Yeah. And when we still moved forward with it, but I heard about it in that, well, when you're making decisions like that, you need to include, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever. So I could see apprehension if that's happened to somebody before. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, depending on the organization and, you know, your manager and whatever. Sometimes, you know, managers are great at saying, I'll support you and I trust you. And so you feel very comfortable making decisions. Yeah. Other times you're like, oh, if I do the wrong thing, yeah, they're not they're gonna go to their boss and blame me, and and it turns into that stupid game. Yeah. What's tricky is navigating those managers that hey, I support you. Yep, I got your back. And then you go off and do it, and then they're like, well, you should have cons- should have run that by me first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, ah, which do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think that is it. I. I do think that whole empowering thing is tricky and somewhat personal because I have been on teams where maybe I have that trusted relationship with my manager and I can make decisions where my, you know, uh, coworker, maybe the boss and that person don't have the same relationship or right. vice versa. I'm the one who yep. can't. Yep. Um, so it's, sometimes it is a little bit personal and get that you have to have trust in order yeah. to empower yeah you know so you absolutely do so as, as long as that's there but i i i could see i don't know that it's millennials kim because to your point i mean you and i would have made any decision yeah. that led us right. <laughs> <laughs> and we would have thought we were making great decisions yeah i kind of have always have maybe that's why i'm here <laughs> 
All right. But, you know, I think if uh, there's an, there's organizations out there that, you know, aren't empowering their people to make decisions. It's still the very old school yeah. chain oh, of yeah, command, yeah, yeah. hierarchy, mm-hmm. um, bad culture, need to hire us, we'll come fix it. Oh, my gosh. I'd love to. <laughs> now, okay, so, Kim, I need to just uh, figure out where we are. So we're talking about empowering people, and that's under visionary leadership? Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Okay. I'm trying to make the leap in my head, but either my synapses aren't firing or... So he, here's what he says. He, okay. uh, let me go back and read how he defines visionary leadership. Yeah, yeah. is applying common sense, empowering your people to create an environment of continual improvement. I think where I'm... I, I completely... 100%... I'm with Mr. Greenleaf on that. It's Beck that says that. Oh, shoot. I'm completely with Beck, Brigadier General. Yep. Okay. Yeah, like, okay, spot on. Mm -hmm. I think I'm struggling with what my definition of visionary is. And maybe that's why this one called out when you said servant leadership, the being visionary. I'm struggling with what I think visionary is. So are you visionary? So, but let me, so let me give you the, the quote that he says from Alice in Wonderland. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there as a leader. That outcome simply isn't acceptable as you need to chart the course for your organization's success in order to do, in order to do. Okay. So visionary is eye on the prize. Yep. And so all I want all of you people, I want you making decisions. I want you making the right decisions yeah. and putting focus on the right things because we all have our yeah. eye on the prize. We know where we're going right. because I'm visionary. Yep. And I have set that. Yep. Now you guys just go about your business and do it. Yeah. And he says in order to do that, you need to do okay. the following. Apply common sense, empower your people, and create an environment. And he says... Okay. He says, as a leader, you must create an environment where the organization can excel as they strive towards the vision set by the leader. Okay. 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 Bring it all around for you. Okay. I'm on board now. Okay. I, I was going somewhere else with visionary, but visionary just being um, herding the cats. Yep. Okay. With the vision of the mission yeah. we need to accomplish. What do we need to get done? Again, you know, episode 19. Extreme ownership. Oh, it sounds a lot. Fine, I'll finish reading the book. <laughs> I mean, again, what's what's fascinating is these two things are so much alike, and it's not because it's a you know an Air Force Brigadier General and in two Navy SEALs. It's just their approach to leadership. And how many other leadership books have we read? How many mm-hmm. other we hear a lot of the same things? So let me yeah. continue on. We're getting close close to the full servant. Um, a a positive attitude is contagious. Oh, I love that. So I certainly believe this to be true, and I've seen this with within the teams I work with. Um, <laughs> one of the teams that I that I work with and support, the leader is a very positive person. He sees the glass half full, if not three quarters of the way full. <laughs> Yeah, when he gets to three quarters, I'm like, whoa, slow, dude, slow, slow, yeah, slow the roll. 
Um, but when he took over the current team, you know, they, they had this massive business objective in front of him. And um, he didn't lead with, oh, this is going to be really tough or, oh, shit, or, you know, how are we going to do this? Woe was me. I came into the group at a bad yeah. time, so forth. And which is what his team was thinking, right? When he took over, new boss, and, oh, we got this goal, yeah. uh, all the grumbling. Instead, what he did is he's like, hey, we got a great opportunity here, and I'm counting on all of you to help achieve the objective that we've got in front of us, and um, we need to just crush it. So, again, the positive attitude, he, you know, he's like, without knowing the team, he's already instilling that positive attitude mm -hmm. of, hey, you guys can crush it. And visionary, by the way. A little visionary, yep. Mm -hmm. So each review, what he did is, we may not have made every metric that we were trying to achieve, mm -hmm. but he praised the team for their efforts. He thanked them for doing their utmost, then asked what help they need in order to crush it. Yeah. You know, he kept kind of using a few of the same words, like, we can crush this, we can do this. So a, the positive attitude, again, A is for positive attitude. So here's what happens. We go through a full year, monthly reviews. You see people's mindsets starting to change because the numbers are starting to roll up. Mm -hmm. The numbers are starting to look. They're becoming believers. Past half full. Yes, nice. they're becoming believers. So at the end of the year, when the results are all in, the team won business of the year for crushing it. Wow. It, I mean, it was a big deal. They they went from a unprofitable business or PL segment within the conglomerate to winning business of the year. I, just from positive attitude. I mean, yes, there was vision. Yes, there was empowerment. Yes, there was yeah. culture things. But each of the leaders, and then the leader specifically that I supported, he was probably the most positive and trusting of any leader that I've worked with. I'm uh, I'm quiet at this moment because I'm thinking back through you know various places that I have I have worked and you know some more positive in different ways than others. I'm going to say so. I I I think that we could probably have a correlation between positive leaders. And the the company outcomes. Yes. Yep. So I don't want to be negative here, but <laughs> but but the, no. The thing that I that I I've seen very positive leaders mm -hmm. who are genuine mm -hmm. and believe right, yeah. and then there's the fake positive. Yes. Because they're like burying their head in the sand as to the facts mm -hmm. of what's really going on. So I agree. A lot of successful companies are because of positive leadership. Mm -hmm. We've seen a few bad companies from positive leaders that are fake positive. Well, it's a persona. Or false positive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, excuse me, sir. Um, yeah, the, I mean, it's a persona. The, the positive right. uh, chatter is their persona. It's not who they really are. And so I think they lose credibility when you get that window into yes. their real yep. self because it's not that positive person that, you know. So it goes back to belief. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, two letters left. And never set your goals too low. If you reach all your goals, there's a good chance they are they are maybe that they're too low. I like to say sandbaggers. <laughs> Keep the bar low. <laughs> you know, who hasn't worked with sandbaggers? You know, set, they yeah. set the bar low, knowing that they can overachieve, and then they're like, "Oh, you know, I crushed it." Yeah, yeah. All right. I, I meet my goals every year. <sighs> yeah. All right. So believe it or not, Beck has another acronym. Oh, Beck, for, you're killing me for reaching the goals. It's he, he says as as you reach for the stars. Oh. Um. So reach. Oh, oh, my, that's a long one. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. So realize. So let me just read these real quick. Yeah. Realize you can do it if you put your mind to it. So I'd say it's sort of like the Nike. Just do it. Is that R? Just R. R. Okay, he believes in the long... Okay. E, goals should be well thought... Wait, wait, wait. E? Each, each goal. Oh. Sorry, E. E. <laughs> e, each goal. Okay. Each goal should be well thought out. You need to be able to answer what value does this bring to the organization team. Should it be a smart Except, goal? <laughs> yeah, that's the other way to say it. A is for apply yourself. As oh, I, wait, let's stop there. So as I was taught, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. You have a good mom. So C, chart a course of success. If you can crush it in one day, then it probably isn't a stretch goal. With a stretch goal, pick it apart, build a plan, and ex- plan to execute and achieve. Okay. H, help others with their goals as well. Yes. Pay it forward. Yep. That's exactly it. I'm not going to read his definition. You just summarized it. Summarized it. I, I feel that one personally this week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> T, under servant, the last oh, letter. Oh, like reach. No. Nope. <laughs> no. Nope. So again, he says under, under N, I've never setting your goals yeah. too low. He uses the acronym of reach. Yeah. And, and he, you know. To, to achieve the the goals. Finally, under servant leadership, the T means take care of your people, and the people will take care of the mission. He, you know, in his example, the nation's trust, nation's treasures are in, is entrusted to you. So, as a we're national treasures, we are. <laughs> uh, I do you know what I agree with that. So, um, if you if a company if the culture is to put the employees first, I think that shows because the employees give back. Yep. And yep. so by taking care of your people, um, like recently I had a discussion with a friend. Uh, we were talking about company benefits. Uh, not that I enjoyed that conversation, but it came up somehow. I was astounded at the employer-employee ratio and how much the employees were paying at her company 
guess what? They have high turnover. And of course, it's not just on the benefits alone, but if that's how yeah. the whole structure is being set up, that's what they think of their employees. And so I, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Take care of your employees. Put them first. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the customers are super important. Yep. But if you take care of your employees, your employees are going to take care of your customers. That's right. So... That's right. So Beck says, what, what, what does this mean? As a leader, do you need to make sure your people have what they need? Do you know what motivates them? Are you investing in their development? Do you know, do they have the tools they need to do their jobs? Do you remove, remove roadblocks for them? Do you empower them, reward them, and recognize them? Recognize them, excuse me. Taking care of your people is where the majority of your time should be spent. Wow. Let, me, let, me, let me say that again. For those that are leaders out there listening to this, take care of your people. Taking care of your people is where the majority of your time should be spent. Right? Yeah. Don't get into the weeds of decisions. Right. Empower your people. Set the vision. So, you know, in, in going through this, I think that there's a lot of parallels, like I said earlier, between the breakdown of the acronym by Brigadier General Beckray, um, and then the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and mm-hmm. Leif Babin. So I'll ask again, why is being a good leader so hard and only often a few are referred to as great leaders? That's true. There's only a few great ones like that, you know, are sort of held to that. Yeah. So my opinion, I think most feel entitled. A lot of them announce their leadership and versus doing a lot of what we've talked about in the, the, the episode, this episode, you know, this in um, the breakdown of servant leadership and from the book, extreme ownership, mm-hmm. I think simply stated you know my view. Yeah. <laughs> Leadership is demonstrated, not announced. And you know what? So after, so this is your, uh, your servant acronym with all the sub acronyms. Um, yep. I mean, nothing earth shattering. Right. Uh, but thinking about it this way as being a servant leader, um, what, how, like, I'm thinking to myself, how do I apply like this is all good, and it's right. all I I I believe. I, I mean, I might have made a few jokes, but I I mean, I believe in all of these these right. different things. So how do what do I do with this? And to be honest, I also believe that uh, leader, manager, individual contributor, you can still demonstrate all of these things, and I'm guessing it's going to make you stand out. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you went through each of these, I can think of people who do them well or who don't do them well. Right. Right? Like, it, it just yep. jumps into your mind. You don't have to, like, really think that hard about it. Right. And so any role, any person can take these and probably stand out. I'm, I mean, I hate – I'm not even going to say probably. They will stand out in their job and how they do it if they focus on these things, which servant is seven letters. Yeah. Uh, so seven things, but I mean, a lot of common sense in there. 
Yeah. Yep. And that, that's, um, I agree with you. I don't think you have to be a leader or manager of people. I think just as an individual, mm-hmm. that if you think about the breakdown of this, you think about, mm-hmm. I mean, even, you know, we've referenced um, the one book, but think about like the book Leadership Flow, mm-hmm. right? A lot of similarities that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and that's why I, I, like, when I went through this and thinking about it, it's like, why is it so hard for people who are leading people to be good leaders? Just minimally good. Mm-hmm. Good would be wonderful, wouldn't it? If everybody was consistently good. Yeah, yeah. It'd be easier to be positive at work. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So I think that's uh, that's kind of it through the acronym. So, Tammy, okay. should we state the obvious? Wow. Yeah, a little bit of alphabet soup today. Okay. Uh, let's state the obvious: servant leadership. Um, I'm I'm gonna call. I won't go through. Uh, all the things, but here's a few things that like stood out to me. Of course, visionary got caught up on that a couple of times, but that's, um, that's an interesting thing and, and applying it even in a- any role you have, what is the end game? And, you know, make sure that whatever part you play, you're, you're communicating about it and you're empowering those around you to help achieve that. Don't do it yourself. Cause I think that's part of the thing about the empowering your people is don't try to do everything yourself. Get everyone to buy in and everybody move in that same direction. Um, I I love that. Do you know focus on the right things and those right reasons? The the big reason I stopped listening to, and you made a joke about people saying that you didn't make the right choices and right decisions. Um, uh, which I like that was sort of maybe my wife brain, right? Like totally ignoring you, make a joke <laughs> about uh about that. Um, so, uh. Focus on those right things. The big rocks, Stephen Covey, I yep. looked up. Um, focus on those big things. Don't waste your time on, on the little things. Focus on those things that are going to get you there. Um, and like you said, at, at the end of the day, if you've done that, you can you know be proud of who you are, what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, the the I I'm going to end on the 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 positive leadership. I don't know what letter that was because that's a P. <laughs> Positive uh, attitude, attitude. Oh, a. attitude, attitude. A. Okay, uh, I I mentally uh, logged it as positive, and then I was like, wait a minute, servant doesn't have a P. Um, it is contagious. So that means again, in any role, you can be positive. Uh, it doesn't mean that you know there aren't going to be days where it's frustrating or you know those kinds of things can come out, but overall, be positive. You know, like uh, give recognition. Uh, to those people around you for the things that they're doing, be genuine, but do it and do it often because mm-hmm. you know uh, you want it coming back to yourself too. Um, but so many great things that can, you know, we can take those seven things and oh, you know, we could make a list. We could write it on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and we could make a list yeah. <laughs> and we could hang it in our cubicle to keep us from uh, the cubicle insanity. Absolutely. All right, okay. I think that wraps her up. All right. So thanks to our listeners. Uh, Thank you to all of our active military and veterans. Special thanks to Brigadier General James Vecri for his service and who inspired this episode. Also, thanks to 
We thanked them in the past. Jocko Willink and Leif Babin for their service in writing the book Extreme Ownership, which we've covered in episode 19. Shout out. And I would say once again, a special shout out and thank you to El Capitan in uh, Honduras. Yeah. Coming home soon. And please stay tuned for our next episode of Cubicle Insanity.